Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm here with Jamie Younger. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And I think the first guest from the Netherlands, which we're going to get into at some point, maybe in the conversation, but appreciate you carving out time, which is your afternoon. As a quick background, Jamie is the founder and principal of StoryKeep, a company that creates films and books that document family and business stories. For over a decade, Jamie's team has helped multi-generational families and business-owning families honor and share their legacies. And this is a conversation that's very timely for me. I just came back from a family office conference in Palm Beach, where one of the speakers was a family that had gone back and documented five generations. And they have an interesting protocol where they update it every five years. They have kind of a rigorous process they go through. Why is it you think that in this period of time, there is this seemingly this yearning amongst multi-generational family offices and family businesses to really, you know, professionally document this history. I'm not sure if there's ever been, I don't know if there's a more yearning. I think there's always been yearning to understand ourselves better as individuals by understanding where we've come from. I think humans have always yearned for that. I think that we're aware of the power of media in a way that we weren't even 10 years ago. So understanding that we can not only create this media, we might have had old like VHS tapes or even further back, but that we can now make it accessible in new ways. We can send somebody a link to a YouTube video or you know, send them a link to a podcast episode and right away we can share some of the most valuable things we have in our lives you know the the story of how we came to be as a family or as a foundation so yeah. that i guess is my 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 answer to that 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I think there has always been this urge, but now to your point, just the way that people consume information and media is so varied and different that it takes a lot more. You can't just put together a scrapbook any longer and expect to be engaged with five generations spread across an entire family. So maybe start with the genesis behind the firm, your story of how you got there, and then we'll get into some of the things that you're doing that are on the vanguard of this industry. Yeah. Well, my own story was part of the inspiration. So when I was growing up, I didn't know all of my family history because there were some secrets in my family. And it took me a while up until like really into my mid thirties to fully understand all of those ins and outs of what had happened. And that was always kind of a mystery that was running parallel to my other studies and interests. I was I studied folklore and my own ancestry, which is I'm from Scandinavia. My people are from Norway and Denmark. And so as I was studying those, and then I went on to study radio documentary and radio journalism, I was sort of fueled in a sense by my own family's history or lack thereof of the details. And at one point, I was working as a radio producer at the NPR affiliate in New York City. And a friend of mine asked if she could hire me to record and document her father-in-law's life story for her children so that they would understand their grandfather and their own father better through understanding him. He he had lived through the Great Depression. And while I was sitting there interviewing this man named Lou, I realized that I was much more engaged and passionate about that work than the stories I was being assigned as a journalist at the station. And so that's when, <laughs> without my MBA, <laughs> decided to start a, start a business based on the notion that more people would be compelled to share their loved one's stories with their children, mostly, and also to better understand themselves. And so that was 2010. And so over the last 12 years, we've now worked with over 80 families um, across North America and in Europe. And it has slowly evolved, but evolved nonetheless from fairly simple sort of oral history, audio-based works to full-fledged documentary films and now private podcasts, which we'll get into um, a bit later. So it's really been a journey and an interesting one because at some point around 2014, 15, I became aware of the work of Jim Grubman. He wrote a book called Strangers in Paradise about sort of the challenge of integrating wealth into one's identity in a healthy way. And I was really sort of interested in that because more and more of the families that were hiring StoryKeep were affluent families. And they the stakes in some cases were pretty high. Not only did they want to understand themselves better as individuals, but to use story as a tool, really, for connection across generations and also as it related to their family business in many cases. So that is sort of the journey that StoryKeep and I took to working more and more with multi-generational families, sometimes not multi-generational, sometimes families that have just had like a person has a liquidation event and then they suddenly have the resources and interest to 
you know, document how their family survived the Holocaust and, and they can now do that. So that's a, a short version of the long story <laughs> of how we got here. And in 2010, was it a fairly nascent industry? Were many people doing this? There were companies that were doing it, but to my eye, they were fairly, the ones I knew about, I should be accurate with that, they seemed a little bit hobby amateurish to me. And I really always felt that I wanted to push the envelope on looking at this as a nostalgic, kind of nice to have thing that you would hire us instead of just sort of doing it yourself, that kind of vibe. I always really felt that this was as worthy, if not more worthy than so many of the other things that we spend money on, that it was really critical to our development. And that, you know, I had been around professional radio journalists and was in the world of creative. So I knew people who were cinematographers and who were really incredible in their own fields. And I wanted to work with those people. So I knew about those other firms, but I sort of never thought that they were sort of what I was, you know, competing against, so to speak. And it has, it's interesting. Um, it sort of has waxed and waned with different firms I've seen kind of come into the space that do similar work and some of them do great work. And then some have been here and then it seems that they are, as the Dutch would say, kaput. They no longer are. So I, I don't, I don't know really where they where it all is now, but there certainly are firms out there doing similar type work and sometimes specializing more in books or more in film. And like I said, with us, private podcasting now. Yeah. So I was going to go there next. You started doing video and film. The industry is obviously broadened to include private podcasting and, and some families create books, right? Or, mm -hmm. or interactive digital books. Does your firm offer all of that? Do you focus on a specific niche in particular? Yeah. In the beginning, we did films. And like I said, also oral histories, because that's like audio-based works when I first started. Today, we do films and private podcasts. We did books, and we're now sort of working, instead of producing them ourselves, working with other firms that we highly respect and trust and working with them and kind of partnering with them essentially, because really our specialty is using um, more of a intangible format, so to speak, <laughs> something totally digital and really zeroing in on what we think we're, we're good at and best at. So you can come to us and want to work on a book and we will help you find your way to a good partner. So let's get into more of the brass tacks. I mean, how does this work? In process wise, in terms of you're approached by a family, did they pitch mm -hmm. you on an idea? I'm sure every family is different, of course, in terms of mm -hmm. where they are and what they want to achieve here. But what is this, the cadence process timeline? What does that all look like? Yeah. So there's, there's sort of two ways it goes. One is that a family just kind of wants to buy something. I mean, everything we do is custom, but sort of wants to buy something off the shelf. So they just want a classic legacy film and they kind of want to know what it's going to cost exactly and, and just tell us what to do. So generally in those cases, we film for two days. Some of those are used for interviews and some of the other time is used for what's called B-roll. So the other illustrative footage, as well as looking at their archives or other collections they have of photos and videos and integrating that. And that is then turned into a half an hour film somewhere in that ballpark. The other thing that we do and is what we mostly do is 
custom quoted projects that are for film or, or podcasts. And that's where we really go into obviously a discovery conversation with a family and maybe other stakeholders about what they're looking to do. So that could be, for example, we're working with a family in New York right now that is a fourth generation business owning family. So they wanted to make an internal private film about their family's history, which also includes part of the the business history, focused on the two gentlemen who are the second generation. They are exiting the company and the third generation is coming into leadership. So this is a way to mark that moment and also document those men's life, some of their some of their life stories. And then in addition to that, we're making five business clips, like short, you know, one to two to three minute clips that share a little bit of sort of their family's background, but focus really on talking to their prospective customers about why they would want to do business with them, sort of as it relates to being a family owned company. So that's a very custom thing because it we would go in and when we film with them, we're very aware that we're going to make all of those end deliverables. But, you know, with another family, it might just be the, let's say they're going to do a, a set of 12 private podcasting episodes and they know exactly what those themes are going to be because they want to onboard different people to their advisory board. And they also want to board new people marrying into the family. And that's their sort of toolkit, that private podcast for communicating all of that to people. So all of that would be going through a discovery process, designing what the project is. And then we go into production, which is when we do the recording or the filming, and then the pre-production. So for us, what that includes is creating a cut or a draft of their film or an episode and having them view it and give us feedback. And they may at that time also have additional photos or things that they go, oh, now that I see this, I realize what you know picture I want to go find. And then we create a second cut or a second draft. And then we come to a final piece. So all in all, that's somewhere usually in the range of between six months and a year from beginning to finish. I, I've seen people estimate shorter than that, but it really just generally does take about that long, not because we're not you know moving them along, but it just takes time to schedule with everyone's lives and give people time to give feedback. I mean, it is a legacy project, so people want to get it right. And to your point, a legacy project, this is probably something that's going to be leveraged highly and and hopefully drive engagement within the family and be a touchstone. Obviously, every project's different, but just generally speaking, like what is the investment needed? And we could talk about the dollars. The financial investment or Right, the the scope of pricing here. What does that look like? Yeah. So the sort of dipping your toe in with us, we have something called the short sessions where we come to a city, select cities across the United States, and someone can reserve a private recording session with us. And that's 9,800. So that's an hour and a half long recording where you can tell your philanthropic journey. You can have your siblings come in and do a celebration of your parents' life or their, you know, their wedding, whatever you want to use that time for an ethical will video. And that's then turned into a 15 to 20 minute film. So that's 9,800. A classic legacy film is on on the order of about 50,000. And then custom projects can be usually above 50 and up in the range to all the way to 150 to 200. It just sort of depends on what it is. Sure. 
And then what about the the emotional investment, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have to get buy-in from the family. To your point, there there's scheduling. People have to make this a priority to mm-hmm. make it work and to make it happen and to make it good. So how do you guide families and help them prepare for what is going to be required for them from an emotional or, or psychic perspective? Well, I should say that generally a project is initiated by some kind of family champion. So there is someone within the family um, or sometimes an advisor who really sees the hidden gold there and they sort of help communicate the value of what this could be. We'll put together an extensive proposal for a custom project. And so a family will be able to read through that and kind of have something to springboard off of and talk about what they want and what this could be. When we select who's going to be on camera or in front of the microphone, we have pre-discussions so that someone can wrap their mind around what this will be like, what they would like to speak about, what other people would like them to speak about, and then think through that and sort of prepare themselves. We also have a set of six videos that we provide as a toolkit for anyone and everyone who's going to be on camera in particular to help them through a variety of themes. Like, I mean, as shallow as how to look good on camera, (laughs) because that is something people want, to how to tell a good story and what that, the three things that people often miss and leave out when they tell a story about their own life. So we, we provide them with that. So it's, there's a, a number of kind of warm-ups basically to getting ready. And then the other thing is we just are really human and say, this is probably going to be emotional to a certain extent. You're reviewing part of your own life or the lives of your loved ones. You're looking at the big picture, which is not something that we do every day. It's kind of meant to be emotional. I mean, if it's not emotional, you sort of missed the boat. So that is part and parcel with the experience, and particularly when you look at you know old photographs or you know people who have passed away. That's just part of what it is. And I think if we don't have that emotional investment or experience, then we've missed out on the power of what we're doing. So I think that is, it is sometimes comes up unexpected for people, but we're there really as chaperones, as, as Sherpas through that whole process. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com slash download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com slash download. And there's been, you know, we kind of referenced this before we went live, but a huge growth within the multifamily office, boutique RIA space. Have you seen more engagement with that world in terms of these wealth managers and third parties bringing you all in to work with their clients and and, and kind of being the point of contact? To be brutally honest, I think a lot of them don't get it. I think a lot of them think of it as an historical kind of put it on this shelf legacy 
experience and they think to themselves, if my, if a family or a client I serve asks me for that, then I'll go look for it to give them a referral. But I think what most of them don't see is that it's a tool for emotionally connecting with not only their clients, but with the children of their clients. It's a way to get real. And I think one of the the thankful <laughs> trends of, you know, the last, let's say, five or six years when we look at Brene Brown and when we look at others leaning into openness, vulnerability, these are strengths. And if you're trying to reach a younger generation, that's where they are at. They're at short videos <laughs> and vulnerability leaning kind of communication. So kind of this top-down mentality is not probably gonna be the thing that that works in the future. And so I think I think that's actually one of my main goals is trying to educate advisors about how film in particular can be a tool for connection for being a witness to someone's experience and to widening the conversation and bringing more voices into that conversation, particularly with podcasting, because it's remote. And so it's not as intensive of a, as a production. And so you can add more voices and it's not just the story of the wealth builder. It's everyone else who's trying to figure out what their life is about and what the purpose of all this is and within the context of that family history. Yeah. And you mentioned a word I think that's really important, which is purpose. I've certainly seen a lot of families recently over the last 10 or 20 years, they've experienced a liquidity event. They no longer have an operating company that can tie the family together where people can work and hear the story. They're purely in the terms of the industry, a financial family. Mm -hmm. and it feels like the services you all provide are really well suited to help kind of bring that community building to those families that no longer have this shared connectivity Mm -hmm. through a business itself. Have you, have you seen that play out within your clientele? Yeah, I was just, when you were speaking of this, I was thinking of a family where the operating business is no longer there and they, as a group, are you know pretty advanced in some ways in that they are exploring what well-being within the context of wealth is for them as like a third and fourth generation group. And that process itself is what they want to document. That conversation, they want to document on film so, because that's what is happening. That is what is the current, instead of what's happening in the business, that's what's happening with them as a family and as a group. So absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it really sort of blew my mind when they came to us because that's a leap in development. So you referenced this earlier about how different members of different generations are digesting media in various formats or channels. How have you seen that in practice? And I, I know that private podcasting has become a big part of mm -hmm. your business, tying that into the oral histories that kind of we've all familiar with. Was that something that you brought to the clients or the clients brought to you initially? That is something my husband brought to me <laughs> uh, in the midst of COVID when we were all stateside, so to speak, although we were in the Netherlands. We were like, 
there's got to be a way to help families continue to document their stories when we can't fly to them because most of the time we're flying to all these different places. And it was really the silver lining saying, wait a second, like your background is in radio and, and audio. Podcasting is huge. How can we offer this? And there was a little bit of it happening out in the world at that point, but not more as branded podcasting for big banks or something like that, as opposed to smaller, I don't want like a private trust or, or an MFO. We weren't seeing that or for a larger, obviously it needs to usually be a larger family that has a reason to disseminate, you know, more information than if you can all sit at the same dinner table, you probably don't need a podcast, but if you're bigger than that. So we just sort of put it out there and it got great interest. So it's a niche within a niche really. And so how does it, how does it work? Do you have a set amount of episodes? Do you have a narrative arc? Do you start with G1 and work your way down? But what's considered best practice and what is that process? Mm -hmm. The one thing that we always do is we go through a, like a, a launch where we, we come up with a concept with whoever it may be. And it could be very different. It could be a private family or like an advisory. So they have very different audiences and needs. But the biggest thing is, okay, you have a concept, you have an idea. Let's build out three test episodes for you, basically. And we're going to do the podcast artwork and the sound design of that, the the brand with the, you know, the sound signature and share that with the group and then get their buy-in, get their feedback, see what's of interest at that point. So that's always part of what we do is that kind of testing. And that's one of the wonderful things where, because you're not a public podcast, these are, you have everyone's email addresses. You can sort of see (laughs) what, what is of interest and what's really exciting or what people want to hear more of. And then we go back and we basically adjust in a sense, and then we build out what it's going to look like, because it's really hard for a group of people who, if you don't have a whole team that's working on marketing, like in a company, who's going to say, this is what our podcast is going to be like. And they do all that. You're working with laymen, right? You're working with people who've never put together a podcast together. So we need to really work hand in hand and see, okay, what's of interest here? What could this be? And get buy-in from more and more people within that space and then build from there. So that's the process that we take. After that, it could either be a limited set of episodes. So we're going to do a theme. So if you know, like there's a really famous public podcast called Serial. So that is a limited number of episodes. It's on one theme. And when it's done, it's done. So it's kind of a capsule of a podcast. Other podcasts people are familiar with, like This American Life. That's a really famous podcast. It happens every week. And it's ongoing. It never ends. So it depends on if you want to or need to have a relationship with your audience where you're just trying to give them certain information and use podcasting to fulfill that. Or if it's an ongoing communication tool where you want to put out one episode a month or one episode a week to keep connected. So there's a lot of talk about engaging the next gen or the rising gen or going through this generational transition between the baby boomers and millennials and Gen Zs. I know that you've spent a lot of time with some incredible families and you've done some writing on this topic, but 
in your opinion, how do you truly connect with that next generation? Listen, I think that's actually the way to connect with anyone. And I think particularly in families where certain voices have taken precedence over others for understandable or unnecessary reasons, listening is really the key. And obviously, we all know that that means more than waiting for your turn to talk. So that, I think, is the, I'm not even sure if there's anything more than that. It is one of the hardest things that we can teach ourselves and foster in ourselves as humans. And this day and age of, you know, social media influence and the self brand and personal brand, and it's all so absorbed. But this is the moment when people want to be seen and heard and acknowledged more than ever before, because everything's so loud and so bright and so noisy. And so I would say, if you're looking to connect with rising gen, and we can put a term on it like that, you're looking to connect with humans. And many of those humans, because of the history of your family and maybe because of wealth, have not really been heard or brought to the table, or if they have been brought to the table, maybe all the conversation already happened on the golf course. And so their opinion doesn't really matter, even though they're there, that doesn't work. So we are one of the tools in the toolbox because listening by way of recording is powerful because it sets aside a rare moment where we all know, oh, this is important or serious or unusual because the microphone's out or a camera is there. And that's a tool for a certain kind of listening. So that's how I would say to connect with the rising gen. Taking that the next step, you are an expert in this space and you've guided a lot of families to help them tell their own story. You alluded to this earlier, but do you have just some, not tips and tricks, but some guideposts that you use to help people tell a story in an effective and engaging manner? Yeah. And maybe I can share with you. And I don't know if you add links to your show notes or something, but we recently made a video about the three things that people often leave out when they tell a story about their own life or those of a a loved one. So one is sensory details. So sometimes there's important or seemingly unimportant details about a moment in your life that you're telling a story about. Let's say when I was growing up, when my mom was always cooking in the kitchen, she always wore a blue apron. A detail like blue apron grounds us because humans are really visual and and that helps us kind of create the scene in our mind. Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you had horses growing up and that smell of a horse stall is so potent. So details like that when you tell a story. Another is the people very often lead about what those stories is the impact So the impact is what's the third act of a story. So we all sort of know that stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Beginning gives us context, who are the characters. The middle is that long portion where all the action happens. And the third act is the climax and the resolution of a story. And sometimes people don't quite know where their story is going, and they kind of drone on and on, and they don't have a clear ending. And they don't include the impact. They don't tell us how the main character, usually themselves, 
how they changed or what insight they had or what transformation they went through. So that's an important one. And the third one is maybe the hardest, but really important as well, which is the truth. So when we're telling a story about ourselves, sometimes it's hard to, we always want to have the best lines in our story. We only always want to be the one that was the smartest and the most clever, but being truthful about the challenges that you went through, that you were confused, that you made mistakes, that you were prideful, et cetera, et cetera. Those kinds of reveals of the truth in a story, that's what gets people to sit on the edge of their seat when someone shares something real. So those are the three things. I don't know if they're tips and tricks, like you said, but they, and and they're not, they're things we can develop over time, but yeah, definitely include sensory details as a start. (laughs) No, that's great. And because I think a lot of people don't know where to start and and I can't, you know, as we wrap the conversation, I, I can't not ask, but biggest tip for how to look good on camera, what's your number one thing? Biggest tip for looking good on camera. I'm going to give you two. One is to wear something that you're comfortable in that has structure. So particularly for women, there's like a kind of looseness that like looks really beautiful in person, like suede fabric, but it generally doesn't look good on camera. (laughs) And of course, lighting, but that's something that hopefully whoever's filming you will take care of. But the other thing, I think looking good on camera is not being nervous and not being nervous has to do with feeling centered and at ease with what you're going to say. And so I think that's the biggest thing is, is zeroing in on what am I going to share and why does it matter and focusing on the value of what you're going to share so that you can be focused on that message instead of thinking about your teeth or your hair. I think that's really helpful. I know in my experience, a shot of tequila will also go a long way to <laughs> getting you, getting you, getting you a little bit just loosened up enough <laughs> to kind of play with the camera. Well, Jamie, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome, and like I said, I hear more and more families working with groups like yourself, and so I definitely encourage if you're out there. Every family has a story to tell, and if you're looking to engage with not just the rising generation, but all the generations of the family uh, groups like what Jamie's doing are very, very worthwhile. A question that we ask everybody that comes on the show is, do you have a daily practice that helps bring you peace in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I do. I have two. Number one, absolutely, is I have a three-year-old daughter and we pull in this futon and put it in the middle of the living room when she comes home from school and we just jump and play and tickle. And that brings me a lot of peace. And the other one is no kids allowed, which is my daily 20 to 30 minute yoga practice. I love it. I think that's the first response with tickling involved that we've had. That's that's great. It's good. Whatever it takes. You know, I want to thank you again for coming on the show for all the listeners who enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and a comment. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation with Jamie. If folks are interested in learning more about the services your firm provides, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, to visit the website. So that's storykeep.com and then just info at storykeep.com to be in touch. Awesome. Jamie, thank you so much. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, same. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. 
If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.